Friends and new to an open house celebration on Saturday, June 29th from 11 to 3 at WERU on Route 1 in East Orland. We'll have a big tent, so come rain or shine. It's potluck, so bring your favorite dish to share. Tour the WERU studios and pick up a new station mug or t-shirt that we'll have for sale. And take in some fabulous live music provided by Trisha Mason, Dog Wants Out, WERU Celtic All-Stars, and Gray Perot. So join us on Saturday, June 29th, as we say thank you to all our listeners for all that you do for WERU Community Radio. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, We operate out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Hunger persists in Maine despite government programs, despite local community efforts. How is this possible in a land of such plenty? Well, on this morning's program, we're going to look at the status of hunger in eastern Maine, the programs that were designed to address hunger, and the gaps that they leave, um, and leave so many people not knowing from where their next meal will come. And we'll be talking about a screening um, this evening at the Grand in Ellsworth at 7 o'clock of an award-winning documentary film, A Place at the Table, to raise awareness and to get people involved in addressing hunger and the policies that uh, cause it to persist. And we have some wonderful folks in the studio who can help us um, with the question of, of responding to uh, hunger in our midst. Um, Adam Lasher is with the United Way of Eastern Maine. He's the Director of Community Engagement and no stranger to WEU. ERU, welcome back, Adam. Thanks a lot, Ron. It's good to be back. I'll come back around and get each of your your kind of profiles in a, in a moment. Also um, with us is Sister Lucille McDonald of the Emmaus Center in Ellsworth. Welcome to you, Sister Lucille. Thank you. And you've brought with um, you one of your former residents at the Emmaus Center, a re- resident now of Ellsworth, Lisa Weisker. Yes. Good, good morning. Good morning, and thanks for being with us. And Rick Traub of, of Tree of Life Food Pantry in Blue Hill. Welcome to you, Rick. Thanks, Ron. And uh, you brought with uh, you uh, Wally Horton, who's a volunteer of Tree of Life, but also in the past has been a donor and a a recipient of Tree of Life. Yes, good morning. Good morning. So um, let's um, go back around and and, uh, find out a little bit more about the organizations who have come together, not only for this program, but to sponsor um, tonight's film um, at the uh, Grand. Um, Adam, uh, tell us a little bit about United Way of Eastern Maine. 
Uh, United Way of Eastern Maine uh, primarily is focused on funding uh, nonprofit organizations that provide vital health and human services to Eastern Maine. Eastern Maine being all of Washington County, Penobscot County, Hancock County, Piscataquis County, and <coughs> Waldo County. There's about 300,000 people who live in, in our area, and currently right now, the, um, the poverty rates right now that we're most focused on we have about 15% of the general population, but about getting close to 25% of the uh, child population. Mm. So we've been focusing on uh, initiatives surrounding education, income, and health, focusing on kids, on seniors, and on, on families. Mm. So we're and, and United Way, usually um, um, it, it kind of does um, wonderful um, drives to collect money and then redistributes that. Is absolutely. That how it yeah. works? We've got a wonderful, unique uh, arrangement with 300 uh, local businesses. We get to be inside the businesses, raising money from them directly, raising money for all of these nonprofits. We we currently support 70 individual um, programs throughout Eastern Maine, and um, th- we know for a fact that those programs really appreciate what we do for them. We're out there raising money for mm. them because they don't have the budgets, they don't have the marketing, they don't have any of those sorts of things readily at their at their fingertips because they're focused primarily on, on direct Doing care. Doing the work, right. right. Um, Sister Lucille um, McDonald from Emmaus Center, um, you're, you've celebrated a recent anniversary at Emmaus Center. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there. Well, the Emmaus Center, yes, did celebrate our 20th anniversary, and uh, we're just very happy that we're there because um, we're able to meet a lot of needs that people have. Mostly, number one, of course, we're a homeless shelter. We can house 25 people, always full. Uh, One of the special things that we have at the shelter is that we take families. Uh, There are very few places in the area, Hancock County or even Penobscot County, that will take uh, families. And so we're very fortunate to be able to do that. We have four four rooms that accommodate that. we're a, probably a dual purpose for being in Ellsworth, and the first is that of being uh, helping the homeless, and the second is helping the community. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have um, a food pantry where people uh, can come once a month and get a box of food. We have a clothing room, which is uh, very helpful, especially when children getting going back to school, but changing of seasons, uh, so that in a way we're, we also work very closely with the local churches and through money that they contribute to the shelter, uh, we're able to help people uh, in need, give gas vouchers so people can get to work, go purchase food or whatever they need to do. But um, as I say, we're multi-purpose for being there and it's it's a great privilege for me to have that opportunity the last 20 years to be part of all this. And what I like about it, it's right in the heart of Ellsworth. So we're not hiding that issue <laughs> of homelessness. We're not hiding it, but often people say, where is it? Ah. And uh, so it's, uh, we're invisible in some ways, but very visible in other ways. Great. I'll come back to you and, and to Lisa in a, in a moment. Um, Rick, tell us a little bit about the, the origins of Tree of Life Food Pantry and, and what your work is. Well, Tree of Life started about 25 years ago in the church basement of the Congregational mm-hmm. Church. Um, right now we're on South Street in, in Blue Hill, and we serve um, residents primarily of the eight towns on the Blue Hill Peninsula. Um, and that said, in the, in the last year we had people from 25 additional towns um, really all, all over the, from all over the coast come into the pantry for food assistance. Uh, in the state of Maine, um, people needing food assistance, the, the percentage is about 14% of the entire state of Maine. <laughs> Um, has some sort of food insecurity, meaning they don't 
might not know exactly where their next nutritious meal is going to come from. Um, my statistics for the Tree of Life and the Blue Hill Peninsula mirror that. It's about 14% of the whole peninsula. Although, for example, the town of Blue Hill where I live, um, last year in 2012, 20% of the Blue Hill population received food assistance. Um, in Cedric, it was 27%. Um, these numbers are extraordinarily high. And so what we're trying to do is, you know, provide food assistance and then, you know, as we're going to talk about later on with this film, um, look at the, the deeper causes of why people need to come in, in the first place. I mean, our, our, my, my fondest dream would be that we, we could shut our pantry down. Um, we're not to that point by any stretch, but we are doing the best we can to feed the people that come in. And right now we're averaging about 192 families every week come into the Tree of Life Food Pantry. Um, last year we distributed about 300,000 pounds of food mm. in the whole year. That's mm. about um, 6,000 pounds a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, hunger is part of a suite of issues related to poverty. And to, and, and Adam, you said that 15% of us are um, at the poverty level or below, but there's another group that's just just above that and and one paycheck away, I think we, we yeah, often absolutely. say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, the working poor is one way to put it. And I mean, when we talk about this state of um, hunger especially, it's not just people living below the poverty line. It's also people who have uh, just aren't anywhere close to making a livable wage. Like there's two two major stats that come to my mind. I mean, we, we're always getting information from our area. And I know this is outside of Hancock County, but in Washington County alone, um, the living wage for two two parents and two kids is right around $61,000 a year for that household. That's what, that's the amount of money you would have to get to afford your, your health care, your heating, your food, your transportation, clothing, education needs, everything like that. Sufficient living mm-hmm. wage. Mm-hmm. And in currently right now, the median wage right now, the median living in Washington County is um, – $20,000 away from that. So that's the gap. It's the biggest gap right now in eastern Maine. Um, Han- Hancock County is um, d- actually the best in eastern Maine with only a gap of $6,000 a year. But still, finding an extra $6,000 a year it, nowadays is, is very, very difficult. Mm. And one of the things that United Way is trying to do is to help people find that extra $6,000, the earned income tax credit things that we do. That That's a good way to you know help alleviate that. And um, financial... Um, you know, literacy projects, th- those are other ways to help mm. out. But there's, there, it's, a, it's a very big, significant problem right now. We have 56% of the kids in eastern Maine right now doing subsidized lunches at, uh, at, at school. 56%. We're over the halfway mark. In other words, mark. they're eligible for it um, because th- they're, they're, the facts of their lives mean that um, they don't have the income to, f- to afford um, food on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Lisa, tell us, if you could, um, your story. Um, how did you kind of end up at the Emmaus Center? What, what was your life like at that point? Well, I had lost uh, my job mm. in Lincoln, Maine. I was doing home care for an elderly, el- elderly woman, excuse me, who passed away. Mm. And I was able to collect unemployment benefits for only 90 days. Mm-hmm. And I was cut off mm. at the 90-day mark. Uh, and in that area... There was absolutely no employment. Uh, I was staying with my sister at the time, and I had no way to pay my way. Mm. Uh, I wanted to work. Uh, th- that's what I wanted to do, mm. was go back to work. And uh, I had heard about 
the Emmaus Center through the Career Center, actually, in Bangor, Maine. Uh, and I went online and checked it out and um, had to go there um, because, like I said, I couldn't pay my way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't feel comfortable with that because I've always worked. Um, I did apply for food stamps, which I did get, that I, I had no income after the 90 days. So that's what brought me to the MAS Center, and it's actually the best thing that I ever could have done uh, because I did get a job. Uh, I got my CNA certification through the Career Center, and uh, now I'm living on my own and actually doing pretty well. Mm. So it sounds like um, landing at the Emmaus Center then gave you um, a whole network of, of, of access to different programs. Absolutely. And you've made your way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I did, and uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, now I'm paying for my own food, and uh, that's very, very, very difficult. Mm. It's so, so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that, that's my story. Right. And yeah. it, it's even just being on my own, um, feeding myself is extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make more than minimum wage, but, you know, not that much more. Right, and so. that's what Adam was saying. The difference between what people are getting and a livable wage, exactly. there's a big gap. Exactly. Sister Lucille, is, is um, Lisa's story typical? Um, how would you characterize some of the other folks who, who um, come through the doors at Emmaus um, Homeless Shelter? I think this is very typical. Uh, Lisa, uh, certainly, among many others who have come into the shelter, uh, are able to uh, put their lives back together. They're given that opportunity. Uh, no one, I think the thing that always amazes me that 32 years that I've been doing this work is that when people come into a shelter, uh, they can go down no further. They have reached rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And so no one judges anyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone is, is received as who they are. Uh, no questions are asked uh, because they're all there for the same purpose is to better their lives and to be able to, like Lisa did, uh, pull herself up and be able to live on her own and, and to be proud of that. Uh, we have many of the our people, we call them our graduates, who have mm-hmm. gone through, yes. and uh, they come back. I mean, um, they're, they come back and say, this is what's happening now in my life, and uh, many times it's, uh, they become our friends. And uh, we, I know we had one family that was there and for quite a long period of time, and uh, when finally they got their voucher and were able to move out, it was on a Friday, and uh, that Monday, the, pers- the gentleman of the family came back in to get something, and he, when he came through the door, he said, I'm home. And uh, to me, that spoke uh, millions of words mm-hmm. because uh, they did find the shelter to be their home when they needed it with their three children. And uh, so that's just one story of people being able to come to the shelter. It's a, we have a men's dormitory and a women's dormitory in the four rooms. So I think the combination of having families there uh, really rounds out the shelter. And um, they just kind of just accept one another. And the children bring a very special uh, 
place to the shelter. Mm, thank you. You're listening to Talk of the Towns uh, this morning. Um, we've called the show A Place at the Table in, in honor of the film that uh, is going to be shown at the Grand this evening. And we're talking about how we respond to hunger in our midst. In our studio, our sister Lucille McDonald of the Emmaus Center in Ellsworth. Um, you've just heard also from Lisa Weisker, a former resident of the Emmaus Center, now working in and living in Ellsworth. Also here with us are Adam Lasher of the United Way of Eastern Maine. He's the director of community engagement. And uh, they're joined by Rick Traub of the Tree of Life Food Pantry in Blue Hill and Wally Horton, who's a volunteer but also received services from Tree of Life. A little while later, we'll open up our phone lines. But uh, Rick, I want to come back to you and, and uh, um, excuse me, Wally, I want to come back to you um, to get your story. You said you um, had, had contributed food to the food pantry and then you found yourself needing those services. Yeah, exactly. Um, it all started out, you know, the spiral down that happens to us so many. Mm. Um, the great job is gone. I lost it during the summer. Um, I was burdened by a bad hip. I couldn't even, I was getting to the point I couldn't even walk anymore. It was just, it got some, and I found myself one afternoon, everybody was gone. I'm sitting in an old trailer with two dogs and um, I didn't have food. Mm. And I'm sitting there with no heat. We were going into late November and uh, it was horrible. You know, mm-hmm. I just finally said to myself, you've got to do something. I had no idea where to start. Mm-hmm. I'd always been on the other end of the stick. I had always, you know, had. We didn't, I'd never faced this type of problem before other when I was a youth. Sure. So, um, from the old farm days. So I finally gathered myself up and I went up to the turnstile actually and ended up in there one day and I said, how do I find out, you know, I'd like to get some food if I We could should get say the turn, turnstile is? Is the uh, clothing end, which supports a lot of the Tree of Life now. Okay. And um, they said, well, if you come tomorrow, can you make it till tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And I remember telling a lot of people the first time I walked through those doors, I just felt horrible. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, no, mm-hmm. this is all these years of hard work, you know, and this is what my life has come to, you know, and I, I'm just coming here to look for help. And it was modified over it. I, I felt ashamed. I felt, mm-hmm. no, this is just horrible. I mm-hmm. mean, I brought stuff here, and now here I am. <laughs> sure. You know, and uh, so I received food, uh, and one of the things that was really great, um, I'd been making dog food at home from freezer burn stuff, whatever we could, and um, as I went through the pantry for the first time, everything I looked at, I'm going, you know, I can make a meal with that. I can make, that will make two meals for me. And I'd come along and I'd say, oh, grab the oatmeal, because I can put oatmeal into the dog food. And, you know, this went on for quite a while. Then it dawned on me, I got to do something back. You know, I, I just couldn't accept that they come here and not do something. And that was about the time, and this is over six years ago, I started volunteering up there. And now we've come to be quite a family. Hmm. And a lot of us are familiar. We know a lot of the clients come through. And I've been in Blue Hill all my life, and I know a lot of the people that come through there. And I hear the same story from them quite often. You know, I never thought I'd see you here. And we always laugh, go, yeah, same, you know, same here. And it's quite often the same story. Well, you know, the job's gone, and, you know, we're trying to make the car payments, but that left on the record last night, as it did with me. Mm. You know, and all that stuff disappears out of your life, and you come quite humbled after a while, going, how much of that did I really need? And I struggled to keep that, mm. you know, and you wonder about things. And then you have to kind of settle into this and plan better, and it works. You know, life is looking a lot better now. You know, I got my hip replacements, and mm. my legs are better than what they used to be. Um, and it's nice. And so it's rare I miss anything going on up there now. And I've been there so much. I know the ins and outs, and I help handle the trucks that come in, the deliveries, the freezers. 
and the general overthing of the, the entire pantry and everything that's going on there now. And it's real rewarding to do so. Um, I like seeing the kids come through. we got a couple families that come through, and they've got several kids. You know, there's, been, uh, there's one gal that comes through. I think she has five children. Mm-hmm. And in, after a while, you find yourself glad that you see them coming through on Thursday because mm-hmm. you know they're getting stuff, and it, it's essential that they get mm-hmm. Everyone needs to help try to help a lot of these people stretch by a little bit. And sometimes you see people there, oh, I won't be here long, you see them for a month or so, other people are there a lot longer. And But it works. It's mm-hmm. a system that works truly in our community, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. So, again, what Sister Lucille said was that um, when you come to the, the homeless shelter, Mayus shelter or others or when you come to the food pantry you're at a bottom <laughs> um you, you're there because you, you don't choose to be there no right no there's so many people that come through there go god well i just this don't worry about it you got to get right. over that part of it and right plan a meal as you walk around here right so what do you think some of the myths are that um the rest of the population that hasn't experienced what you've experienced or what you're helping to what are some of the myths out there that you've encountered around hunger and around homelessness around poverty what are some of those myths adam start with you and then we'll work our way around rick one big one that comes to mind instantly is that a lot of people living in poverty just above poverty are working really hard. They have one or two jobs, many of them. I, so I, the myth is that they're not working. What you're right. saying is or, that those people are really working hard just to maintain. Or they can't work. Like, okay. I mean, like we, we're, we're now hearing that we're getting close to half of the um, households in the, in the U.S. Um, the breadwinner is the, um, is the woman. And, you know, this is a household. Now the household is headed by the woman. She's making the most amount of money. You know, there are a lot of reasons why that, why that happens. A lot of times there is no other partner. She's by herself with a couple kids. And we know that 40% of all households where the woman is head of household, 40% are living in poverty. That's, you know, if half of our, if nearly half of our households total are headed by women and almost half of those are in poverty. That that's kind of bad. And you know, we've got cases where the where the in, in cases with um, a family like man can get injured and he's disabled and he can't work and she's doing everything and it's just lots of work, multiple jobs, just trying to make ends meet and they're not meeting. You know, heating costs, energy costs, healthcare costs. These things have gone through the roof. Food is expensive, but at least it hasn't been jumping up at the levels of of healthcare and and energy costs mm-hmm. and transportation, which are just going thirty percent higher, 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 higher. So it's, the first myth is that um, folks who are receiving these services aren't working. You're saying that they are, but they're just you know th- their wages don't add up to a living uh, situation. Rick, what would you add to that? Um, I know we've we've thrown out a lot of statistics here, but I guess we have to <laughs> throw out a few more just to you know. To, <laughs> To, to look at this from different perspectives, but w- one thing that that's kind of a wake-up call for me is that um, 40% of the people who need some sort of food assistance do not qualify for um, SNAP benefits. SNAP being Supplemental Nutritional um, Assistance Program. It, it took the you know took the the name from the, the old name was food stamps, and now uh-huh. it's called SNAP. Yeah. Um, so these are people who are working. And they're just not making enough money to make. And they're having money. to choose between food and heat, or food and and medical right. care. Or, or we hear stories. I mean, this is someone who was who's working at a at a local store in Ellsworth, and um, at a, at minimum wage, I believe. And they had, they had a SNAP benefit, and they got a slight raise at their job. They they no longer qualified for the same SNAP benefit, so their net 
income actually went down after they got their raise just for mm-hmm. the way the thing is is put together. But there, there's certain myths out there that, that are not helpful um, regarding SNAP. And I, I could say also with our, our pantry, because I do hear stories, you know, people say, well, who's the, who are the people that go in there and do they really need to be there? Um, as Adam is saying, you know, really a lot of these people are working. Um, I hear, well, isn't there a lot of waste? Well, there are a lot of scamming going on. Well, there's not really. I mean, the national statistic on that is about 1%, um, 1% waste in the whole $80 billion program. And it seems like a lot of money, but, I mean, people have taken advantage of programs. I mean, the people that don't pay their library fines. I mean, well, so, we've, got, you know, we've got some bankers who probably have <laughs> been taking advantage of things, too, but, you know, that's probably a, and, a larger and percent And then there. they talk about, well, well, somebody's going to be dependent. They'll be there all their life. Well, actually, the actual um, time a person is, is on SNAP is 8 to 10 months. Mm-hmm. So it's really seen as a supplemental university. And there are people that make it a way of life, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's unfortunate. Um, but that's really not what we need to be need to be focusing on. Um, and then they say, well, they're going to spend their whole SNAP benefit on, on junk food. Well, about 2% of that goes to junk food, really. And mm-hmm. there's not really much you can do to control that, but they do. They do know how much. And it's a small, it's a small amount. So there are you know, certain myths out there that provide some pushback, like when these, these impending cuts to SNAP are coming. There's a lot of, um, you know, it gathers some steam because of these, these um Erroneous ideas about exactly what the program is. Yeah. So um, as a as a nation, um, back um, during the Lyndon Johnson days, we declared a war on poverty, and we created a lot of programs that that um, picked up where the earlier the Great Depression. You know, we we had programs in place to help people, and uh, among those were food stamps, right. now called SNAP. Right. We had the Women's Infants and Children right. uh, program that provided food to um, um, nursing uh, moms. Um, um, we had uh, um, issues like commodity foods where um, surplus foods were then distributed to people. So we've got these government programs, but um, what I hear you saying, Rick, is that those are under fire. Well, the, 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 the present irony, government... The, one of the ironies is, is at the end of the, uh, by the end of the decade of the 70s, there were statistically, there were, there were very few people in this country who were in, in dire need of food, and that was in a large part due to all the programs that were established. Well, I think what happened at the end of the 70s, when we went into the 80s in different administrations, um, the, the feeling was, well, we've solved this problem so we can cut the programs. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's happened, and that's kind of taken its course, and then, you know, all the different tax cuts and whatnot, and all of a sudden there's not enough money to pay for everything we're trying to pay for. That's a whole other conversation. Um, so, um, again, there are government programs that are designed to help. They're being cut. That means that there's more pressure on local groups um, to step up. But you're already stepping up. You've been stepping up for 20 years or 25 years. Lucille, what, Sister Lucille, what would you say about some of these, the, the, the perceptions that the government, oh, they're already taking care of it? Well, I think uh, one of the things that... Uh, when I was preparing to do this today is that I went around to all the food pantries and, um, and, and different people that I could interact with the schools and everything. And um, one of the persons that I went to sp- speak to is Joe Cooper, and mm. she uh, represents the Seniors Friends in Action. And I think that that was uh, a big issue that opened my eyes is that uh, in Maine, uh, we're 17th in the country and first in New England in terms of senior facing hunger. And she said the big thing was that uh, people are embarrassed and ashamed 
to uh, be asking. Uh, they never had to do that in their life, and so they'd rather be hungry, uh, not get the uh, things that they need to make quality of life. And uh, one of the things she pointed out that with the USDA food, which uh, we get at the shelter and the food pantries all get it, um, is that, uh, you know, right now we're distributing just over 2,000 seniors in the state. And we estimate that 35,000 people could be using this food if they would have it, which is 8% of uh, those that are identified. Mm. So, uh, you know, only we have the big sign coming into Maine, uh, the way life should be. And uh, I always smile when I see that because I see the other side of this, mm. that uh, it is not the way life should be. Uh, people should not have to be uh, coming to the shelter on Thursday and Saturday morning to get a day-old Hannaford food and to tell me that this is the only food that they're going to have today. And most of these are seniors who come, uh, a lot of them with families. We could have 35, 40 people uh, coming in, and some days it's pretty slim, but it's wonderful to see the people step back, let other people make sure they get their mm. share. And so, uh, you know, when Joe told me that um, just this year they started going out into people's homes uh, those who are homebound are suffering from chronic illnesses who can't get out and to go to uh, Friends in Action to get help. And so I think, you know, we, we've really got to step up to the plate. And uh, I'm glad to this film being tonight that we're going to be able to uh, hopefully, as it's been shown in three other places in Maine, uh, and they have taken action. They have gone and said, now we've seen this. We cannot allow this to happen. We've got to step up to the plate. And... Um, be able to see what we can do locally in our areas to be able to help people. And I think that's why we're here today, because we mm. can see that we do have availability of being out there and helping the, the youngest child to the oldest person. Mm. I'll just remind uh, folks that they're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about A Place at the Table, the film that will be shown tonight at 7 at the Grand in Ellsworth, um, responding to hunger in our midst here in eastern Maine. And in our studios, we have uh, Sister Lucille McDonald. You've just heard from. Um, she brought with her Lisa Weisker, Weisker rather, um, former resident of the Maya Center, now working and living in Ellsworth. Um, uh, Rick Traub of the Tree of Life Food Pantry in Blue Hill, Wally Horton is a volunteer of Tree of Life uh, Food Pantry, but he found himself needing the services of Tree of Life at one point in his life. And Adam Lasher of United Way of Eastern Maine. And we're going to open up our phone line lines now, and we'll hear later on in the program a little bit more about the film. Uh, but uh, if you've got a comment or a question, um, please give us a call, one 866 625-9378 or locally 469-0500. Before the program, we were talking about the the relative scale of what <coughs> government programs are doing and, and uh, local programs are doing because many in Congress and perhaps many um, people listening to this program might, might assume that, well, if the government doesn't do it, the local efforts will, will pick up. What's the difference between what government provides, um, because we know that the need is there, and what local programs are able to provide? Adam, have you got some of that comparison? I, uh, for Eastern Maine, I mean, I can speak yeah. about uh, Eastern Maine. This is Washington, Hancock, uh, Piscataquis, Penobscot, and uh, Waldo County. That's 300,000 people. And just if we looked at the poverty rate, that's about between 60 and 70,000 people a day. Um, 60 and 70,000 people total. And if they had three meals a day, we're talking 65,700,000 meals a year. 
That's 180,500 meals raised every single day. At $2.52 a meal, that's $165 million plus dollars. So if it was just left to us, I mean, United Way did um, a, a great job this past year working with the Hancock County Food Drive, the Sam's Club Food Drive, the NELC Food Drive, um, the Pantry Project, all these food initiatives that we're working with, tons of businesses, organizations, nonprofits, food pantries, and we raised in a year around $250,000 worth of food. And just for Eastern Maine, the scope of the problem is $165 million. So there's, and that's with many volunteers, many organizations, you know, really stepping up to do stuff. And that's what we're able to, I, I mean, I know our partners, Good Shepherd Food Bank, and there are some other, you know, excellent partners out there, but it's, it's, it's a gigantic problem. Let's go to the phone lines. I'm going to come back to Rick Traub in just a minute, but let's take our first call. If you'd give us your first name and uh, where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, my name is John Curtis. I'm calling from Surrey. Uh, I'm actually a member of the National Association of Letter Carriers. Oh, great, John. And... Uh, you know, of course, we do an annual food drive initiated by my union, and uh, we we collect. It's, it's probably the biggest one-day food collection in the country. Yeah. We collect about 70 million pounds each year. We've been doing it for 21 years, and in total, we've collected over a billion pounds of food. Uh, but that's just, you know, so I have some, some insight, perhaps, and, and certainly an interest in this issue. And I keep hearing from your various panelists, but first of all, I want to thank your panelists for all of the really brilliant work they've done on this issue. Uh, we've, um, of course, the NALC works with United Way on the food drive, and they're a tremendous help, help in making that happen. But the, the folks on the panel have, have emphasized that many people who, who require food assistance are working for a living, mm. and we know that to be true, too. We, we collect food, not for our members, because right. we have decent jobs, because we have a trade union. But we collect it as an emergency measure for people who, who, you know, who can't earn enough to eat enough. And we, we look at the solution to this problem. Part of it is definitely raising wages. I mean, nobody should have to work for a wage that isn't enough to feed their family on. And there are some different ways to address that. But, of course, the immediate and quickest way is to, to raise the minimum wage. And uh, I'd like to see more adv advocacy on that. But also, we're, we're in an environment where uh, unions are, are, some people are trying to destroy unions and prevent other people from organizing. Well, the solution, part of the solution to the hunger problem is to remove those restrictions on union organizing and stop attacking people who have banded together to improve their wages and working conditions. The, I'm looking at a chart from the Economic, Economic Policy Institute that shows union density in this country. And it, as union density rises, poverty falls. Mm. As union density falls, poverty rises. I mean, it's clear to me that one of the major solutions to this issue is raise wages. And that, that's, that's the point I wanted to make today. Right. John, thanks so much for your call and for all your work um, with your union and for speaking up because um, unions made a real difference in this country. And maybe as, as uh, Rick Traub pointed out, 
we thought we'd solve those things. So we kind of lost our focus, perhaps. So you're reminding us, John, to get back on focus. We have one more phone call. Thanks, John, for your call. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, but list your name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead, please. Hi, this is Christopher Brown calling from Bar Harbor. How Hi, Chris. Today? Great, thanks. Thanks for having my call, and thanks for the, bringing more awareness to some of the plight of uh, many, many people in our country, let alone the world. Uh, presently, I do a food rescue uh, as a gleaner, and um, I think I just want to make a couple of points. One being that there's somewhere in the, in the range of, oh, 40 to 50 percent of all the foods that have been prepared today are going to be wasted. Mm-hmm. So in going out and getting those is one way we can very quickly uh, help our local folks. So we do that here in Bar Harbor with a community meal on Thursdays. And we also try to get those foodstuffs to directly to people, but also to the pantries as well. As you can imagine, it's quite cumbersome uh, as a solo operation. And so I'd like to put a thank you out to the United Way who recently recognized our meal. And it's through those kind of donations that help us work harder to uh, you know, solve some of the problems of not just food, but looking at poverty and the stigma and the misinterpretations uh, and, and um, myths that surround whether it's food or being without um, enough wealth to buy whatever you want. Well, Chris, thanks so much for all your good work, and, and keep it up. Um, and again, um, as the last caller said, it's not just about providing the emergency. It's kind of some systems changes, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But thanks for your call, Chris. Can I just offer you one other thing? Yes, please. Uh, we found a, a $20 bill recently in, in a pile of change, and it was from 1950. And <laughs> I was trying to explain to my young daughters what that $20 bill bought in 1950 right. versus what it could buy today. Uh. And I think if we start there, we, we're looking at something uh, that is just so profoundly absurd on how many loaves of bread you could have bought and gas versus what you can get today. Right. But I do have, I do have faith and hope, and I know that the American people are going to rally around this cause, and we're going to be able to make a huge difference. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Chris. Um, Rick, you were you were about to make some comments earlier when we were talking about this this um, relative um, wonderful efforts that are going on locally and the the, the, the state of the problem, the, the the breadth of the problem. Well, regarding the the um, the SNAP program, the federal program, that's about a eighty billion dollar a year program in the United States. And if you took all the budgets for all of the food pantries, all the food banks in the entire country, the entire budget for all of these operations is about $5 billion. Um, so that to me, that, that tells me that this is not really a problem that we can solve. Um, By going local. <laughs> with, our, with our little pantries. I right. mean, what we're doing is we're, re- we're reacting to a problem and we're doing good work and we're certainly helping the, you know, the people that come in every day, but it's not... It's not sustainable in the long run the way that it's um, the way and, that it's set up. And you're getting increased demand. In other words, so you know that that five billion, you're already getting increased demand without a decrease in SNAP program. Well, our our um, our demand went up about fifteen percent last year, which was up fifteen percent over the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, we see we saw about two hundred and fifty new families last year. Right now, we're seeing about five new families a week, every week, come in come into the pantry, so I would say um, yes. <clears throat> Adam? One thing I, I, I feel is really important and something that we focus on a lot at United Way is the difference between alleviating the pain and targeting the root cause of the pain. 
And I know that all of our food pantry um, um, partners do excellent work. They are always in need of volunteers. They're always in need of more food. And we work really hard to get them volunteers, to get them food. But at the the same time, at this film tonight, we're going to talk about solutions, not just about, you know, how can we get more food to the pantries, but also how do we bring that demand down? Because if it's going up 15%, 15%, 15%, I mean, it's reflecting the, the cost that people have. Healthcare costs are through the roof. Energy costs are through the roof. You know, people are debating, do I, do I pay to heat or do I pay to eat? And it's just, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. So what are some of the things that we can do as a community to target the root cause? Some people say we should nip it in the bud and do it at, you know, with education, with, with early childhood development, make sure that kids, you know, go, you know, like the backpack programs. Uh, we, we have a backpack program, uh, Good Shepherd Food Bank does, where the idea is you give a kid a backpack full of food so they have three meals Saturday and Sunday so that when they show up to school on Monday, they're ready and able to learn. So you're increasing and advancing their ability to learn and succeed in life. So education is one we've heard from one of our listeners, and I'll encourage more phone calls. Increasing wages, yep. increasing um, the ability for people to gather together and advocate for themselves. What are some other ways, Lucille? Uh, I think one of the big things is that we're, here we are in the summer, and uh, I hope this gentleman, uh, Chris, was from uh, Healthy Acadia, yeah. because uh, they that gleaning program that they're putting into effect is is just going to be wonderful that people if they're able to uh, get $200 uh, in an overall period of 11 weeks um, of wonderful organic good vegetables that will be able to help them and then the other thing is uh, you know if you've got a garden out there plant a row and uh, bring it to your food pantries to your soup kitchens and all those people that you're uh, you know, what's one more roll? But it's going to make a huge difference in the life of somebody else uh, this summer who can eat good nutritional food. So there's a lot of programs, I think, out there that we have to look positively at. And we can make a difference. And it, uh, everyone just working together, we can make this happen. So I'm going to come back to the question of alleviating hunger and root causes in just a minute, but we'll uh, take a phone call um, if you list your uh, first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Okay. uh, Yeah, Ron in Bangor. Yes. And uh, all these things to to alleviate hunger are wonderful, but the the real problem now is there there are no jobs. Hmm. Um, a, few, a year or so ago, I, I've been on the left all my life, and I, I was in a bar in Shenzhen, China, and an Englishman looked at me and said, the revolution will come, but it'll be a robot carrying the red flag. <laughs> uh, and we simply do not have the jobs. And the only the only solution, I would say, is, and I, and I just how's this to horrify everyone as a start, uh, eliminate the minimum wage. Now, wait. And then the second part is a basic income guarantee, a basic guaranteed income. That, that would actually allow that, that free hand of the market to set wages at the low end. And, and you might not get people to uh, clean grease traps in restaurants by eight bucks an hour. Uh, but at the same time, no one would be forced to. Mm, mm. So uh, you're, you're saying that, that that government should step up and provide um, a, a kind of a minimum guarantee. Uh, well, we have we have a, we have a, a a fishing net now with so many holes in it, 
yeah, I, I don't know what it would cost, but if you eliminated all of your your uh, uh, social service cash programs, whether it be food assistance, uh, uh, rent assistance, all of these, and gave a basic, a little above poverty minimum wage, uh, it, w- it would again without without uh, without having a, a minimum wage law, uh, it would allow the market to set the price for low low wage labor. The people would have to do it. Well, thanks for your calls. That's an interesting thought. We'll see if we can get some other reactions to that. Um, other things that we might do as a system, we've talked about education, jobs. This person had said, well, maybe um, just get rid of the program, but guarantee a, a livable kind of, 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 of income. What else could we d- be doing, Rick? Well, there's some things that we're doing right now in in our food pantry. And, and one thing I, I really like about these these things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list off here in a second is that I'm not talking about any huge government program or anything that takes a long time to start up. And what I'm talking about are some very simple things that um, – help people empower themselves where they are right now to bring about change in their lives. Um, very simple things. One thing we've started doing is we've, we're putting more of a focus on um, fresh food and things like dried beans, lentils, garbanzo beans, chickpeas, things like that. And But rather than just put those things on our shelf and say good luck with it, we put out recipes. Mm. And when we initially had all these dried beans, people were saying, well, um, you know, the, the folks that come in, if they don't know how to cook these, they're not going to take them. Well, we, we go through, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 pounds of, of dried beans every week and the like, and we have recipes up there so people can then learn three or four different ways that they that they can cook these, and they're, they're, they're taking charge of, of their lives and eating more healthily this way, and certainly these are a lot cheaper to buy in the store. Than because when we buy the prepackaged, prepared things, we're paying a lot more for right, those things. Right. So you're trying to say, okay, in addition to thinking about big big things like jobs and, and wages, give people some skills so they can better use healthy food. And the second thing I did, I, I called Fedco and I said, you know, you know what, we need some seeds. Um, a week later, I had a huge box of seeds from Fedco. We put those out and gave out about 300 packages of seeds um, just in a couple of hours. People were overjoyed Great. to have those seeds. So, so grow, now, grow your so own they're food. growing their own food. And the third thing I want to just touch on quickly, um, what Sister Lucy was saying about Healthy Acadia. They, they got some money together to um, help people pay for shares of, of CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. So... Um, in which you know recipients at the food pantry can pay fifty dollars um, over the course of the over the course of the growing season and receive over two hundred dollars worth of right. vegetables. But these people are now engaging in their in their in their lives, and they're saying, "Yeah, I want this healthy food. I'm willing to put the, get together the fifty dollars to actually pay for that. It's going to local farmers who are growing it." And that's that's just an, it's an so incredible that, that program. So you're kind of kind of re-empowering the local economy. Right. We've got two two phone calls. I want to get to those. Let's take the first one. If you'd list your name and and where you're calling from, and then uh, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. It strikes me that when the issue of jobs comes up, people seem to think that means that corporate America needs to provide employment. For people. Well, as much as corporate CEOs call themselves job creators, businesses would rather not hire anybody. If they could get robots or move to China or whatever it takes, they'd rather not hire anybody. So turning to corporate America for jobs is futile. 
and expecting the government to step in and provide relief or jobs is just as futile because the government is part of corporate America. Now, it wasn't that long ago in this country, just a few generations, that most people did not work for corporations. They worked for themselves on the farm, in the garden, in the shop, cottage industries. And in view of the fact that corporate America is abdicating its social responsibilities, I think it behooves everyone nowadays to nurture low-impact personal skills. And I think getting into the garden is one of the most important and one of the easiest things for anyone to do, to get a grip on his own personal economy. Getting into the workshop is another example. Thank you so much for putting on this program. And thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thanks very much for your call. We have another call. If you'd list, list your first name and where you're calling from, um, we'll get to your comment, please. Hi, this is Mark in South Thomason. Um, I appreciate your uh, earlier comments about um, the, uh, the these are mostly just uh, reactionary moves that, mm. that we're talking about. Um, I, I really think um, to uh, put it in rational consideration, We've got to look at the long view and starting with um, the idea that there are too many people on the planet already and that uh, unchecked human population is just going to exacerbate all of the problems of hunger worldwide in, in our homes, in our communities, in our countries, and, and the, the whole globe. Um, really, um, for families who are having more than one child, giving birth to more than one child um, in, in their home, they are exacerbating the problem exponentially. Um, and I, I just I think it's long past due time to recognize that that is really the larger problem that, we, that we're facing. Thanks for those, co- those comments. We have one more phone call or two more phone calls. One more. Let's go to that caller and we'll take that call. Go ahead, please. Hi, Ron. This is Bronwyn, um, calling from Oakbrook and representing Healthy Acadia. So I'm really glad. Um, thanks to Rick and Sister Lucille for mentioning our CSA program, which we're really excited about. But I also wanted to call and mention the Summer Food Service Program, um, which is a partnership between the USDA and the DOE, the Department of Education, um, to provide meals for kids throughout the summer, uh, free of charge for anyone under 18. And it's had a lot of success across the country, and we're really excited that the Jewett School in Bucksport is starting a program um, this summer, starting actually next Monday. But it's a great way to keep kids well-fed throughout the summer, and it's an extension of the National School Lunch Program, which does a lot to feed kids um, across the country. So I just wanted to bring that up as well. Great. Thanks so much for your call, Bronwyn. I believe we have one more call, and then we're going to go back to our guests. No, we're all set. So um, thanks so much for your calls this morning. Um, We're probably out of time for phone calls, but uh, let's focus on the film tonight. But uh, Rick, Trob, before we go to that, you have something else to add? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I was all done with that rant. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, great. Again, I think our callers are reminding us that we've got, and, and here in the studio, we've got immediate problems um, that we want to provide uh, people with um, sources of food and, and shelter, but then we've got these systematic problems, and whether it's education or creating your own job or you know, getting more jobs, uh, those are big-term problems. Tell me why you've decided to sponsor this film, um, A Place at the Table. Um, what do you know about it? Why would someone want to come to this film tonight, Adam? Uh, I, I feel like the stories that are presented in this film do an excellent job showing a very good cross-section of the people who are living in hunger. And it also shows, you know, it, it, it's inspirational because it shows people who are doing very smart work um, as, as way in, in, in addressing these problems, both immediately and in the long term, targeting the root cause stuff. I mean, at United Way, we wanted to sponsor this because we wanted to be a part of this because we're focused on issues surrounding education, income, and health, and poverty and basic needs. And this film, you know, the the idea that, you know, if we can bring people from our community as advocates, if we can bring them out as volunteers or as donors even, at the very least, we can make a significant difference, especially right here in Eastern Maine. Like, we can do it, and this, this film is a good thing to come to to talk with people from your community hear other people's ideas solutions we need to we need to do this together i mean it's not going to be one organization it's not going to be one food pantry it's, we're all in this together and i mean currently right now any one of us any one of us it takes one medical you know catastrophe to send someone into poverty nowadays mm. i mean it takes one house burning down with bad insurance to send someone into poverty nowadays. I mean, it is very easy. You know, if if my car got messed up, you know, I I would be struggling. Mm. It, you know, and uh, both my wife and I work. You know, and so, I know so using I'm right a, there too. Using a film to tell stories is is powerful. I understand that we're going to have a, a sneak preview of of a, a new film talking about Tree of Life Food Pantry as well. A very brief film. Is that right? We're going to show a. Like like the cartoon. I guess it's not a cartoon, but <laughs> before the film, we have like a, a three-minute film that we put together called In These Times, and it kind of gives the story of, um, of, of, of how food pantries um, help, not, not just in Blue Hill, but also statewide and also on a national level. We're going to show that film. And since you did bring that up, I, am, I will make a little plug here for a new film that we have produced called Turning Clothing into Food. And this is a film that we've been working on for about two years now. Um, we just finished it last week. We're really, really excited about it. You can see it. Um, you can go to YouTube and look at it, Turning Clothing into Food, or you can go to our website, which is treeoflifepantry.org, and look at the film. We're going to mass produce these and make them available to anybody that wants to, who wants to replicate our model of, um, of selling clothes and using the money to buy food, which is what we do in Blue Hill. Um, our turnstile is open three days a week. Um, it makes about $1,000 every day that it's open, and every penny of that money goes to buy food. Mm, what a great model. Sister Lucille, why why are you interested in this film called A Place at the Table, and it's, it's showing tonight at the Grand in Ellsworth? Well, I think it's uh, wonderful that we've taken this opportunity to make people aware. Mm. Uh, it's right here, right on our doorsteps, and that we we have to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and do something locally. And that's why I'm saying 
you know, get out there, see this film tonight. You know, you just see something like this and it ribs you up. And you say, yeah, I, I can do something. Uh, I, I just had this little bit, but I can offer this. So whatever it might be. So I know throughout the state where it's been shown that uh, they have come up with wonderful ideas and they're doing something locally. So I challenge the people to come this evening to see the film and to say, t- when we leave, we'll have some, some idea of something that we can do to make a difference, that we're not just going to come in, see the film, and go home and open up our big bag of chips that we're going <laughs> to look at what other people can't have. Right. But we need to do something about it. And so let's tonight come with ideas and focus in on this so that we can make a difference this summer, not next year, this summer for our seniors and for our children and for those who are in need. And the film is 84 minutes long, but there's going to be a panel discussion afterwards. Some of you are going to be part of that panel. There's some some others. And we'll be really engaging people in the audience to, to get their ideas and get people working. Adam, what would you add? That, that's all I wanted yeah. to add. And if you're someone who you know tends to keep your head down and take care of your own, but you're still very concerned about this, but you don't want a spotlight, you can write down your question or your idea and pass it up to the front and someone someone will, will bring it up. So if, if you're kind of shy, which a lot of us in Maine are kind of known for keeping our head down and taking care of our own, um, you're totally invited. We totally encourage that because a lot of the... Um, some of the quiet people in our community have some of the best ideas. Mm. So, Adam, I'll let you get you to list your um, your contact information and Sister Lucille, but I'm going to give the last words to, to Lisa and Rick to ask what they hope will come out of, of out of our conversations. But, but uh, Adam, you're... you're uh, uh, you can find out more information about United Way of Eastern Maine at uh, unitedwayem.org. Uh, we've got a lot of good information on our Facebook. Our phone number is 941-2800. We... We raise lots of volunteers. We raise lots of funds for the community. VolunteerMaine.org is another place that you can go. If you can't come tonight, check out VolunteerMaine.org. You can find an opportunity to help out with hunger. Uh, I'll pass it over to Sister Lucille. Right. You can go to the Emmaus Homeless Shelter, org. We have a new website. Uh, go there. See all the uh, wonderful programs that we're, we're into and we're able to help people. You know, sometimes you don't know where to turn to. Most people have computers or iPhones or whatever, go to the website, see what we're able to do for you, and please just ring that doorbell, and we're there for you. Great. So, um, Lisa first, um, what would you hope, and then um, uh, Wally, what would you hope listeners to this program or people who attend the film, what will they do as a result of hearing your words, your stories? What what, what would you like them to do? That is kind of a difficult... What's your hope, I guess? What's your hope for... for Just... I believe that this radio, uh, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. That's all right. That's I, all right. We're making people aware Great. of the problem, and it is a huge problem. Uh, and I hope that many people come this evening. Um, and I guess okay, and, I'm and sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Wally, what would you add? What, what are your hopes as a result of this radio program and the film tonight? Well, you know, it'd be an awful good start to know that everyone's got a meal for supper tonight. Mm. You know, <laughs> the basic idea of things here, and everyone keeps that sight. Uh, one thing I always like to tell people, if you need to come to us, if you need to go to your pantry or see Sister Lucy, don't wait until it's too late. Mm. Don't be standing there limping along with a backpack trying to get there. And uh, 
come forward. And, that, and if you've got special problems going on, come see one of us. Come, come say so. Great. And I think another great idea, if anyone in the neighborhood, get rid of that great, beautiful front lawn and put a garden into it. <laughs> great. Great. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for a talk of the towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Please come to A Place at the Table, a special film showing at the Grand this evening where you'll hear some of our guests um, again um, uh, respond to that film. Adam Lasher, United Way of Eastern Maine, one of his colleagues will be there. Sister Lucille McDonald of the Maya Center. Lisa Weisker of uh, Ellsworth, former resident of Maya Center, Rick Traub of the Tree of Life Food Pantry, and Wally Horton, a volunteer at Tree of Life. Thanks to all of you for being with us this morning on Talk of the Towns. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks for Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners.